This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and today we have a unique treat. We're here with Tom Reagan. He's the president of Mindful. Tell us a little bit, Tom, about what you do and a little bit about the customers you serve. Sure. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Mindful is our retail and cultivation brand. We are a cannabis company located in Colorado. As president of the company, my job is to make sure the trains run on time and we serve our customers. Part of our business is we have a 40,000 square foot grow here in Denver. We have a 25,000 square foot extraction facility and we have a retail footprint throughout the Colorado area. And on top of that, we have a B2B business where we sell our products to other retailers. You know, we talked about this and you were kind enough to give me a tour before the podcast. And I can tell you guys, it reminds me of like a surgical suite. When you come in here, the place is clean and the data gathering here is incredible. And Tom, you talked a little bit about what you did before you came here. Shed some light on what you did before here. Sure. In my prior career, prior life, I was a director at Cisco Systems for about 12 years. For those of you that don't know Cisco Systems, it's not the food company, it's the computer company. Cisco is about a $50 billion a year company now. And my job was to manage the worldwide supply chain, do product integrations when we acquired companies and launched new products. And before that, I worked at a bunch of small high-tech startups in the networking space in the Boston area. A bunch of them got bought by large companies like Cisco and Intel. Yeah, and it was, I think you said it was a billion-dollar event that you managed at the time? Yeah, no. At Cisco, I was responsible for about $10 billion of Cisco's revenue from a manufacturing and supply chain perspective. You know, and, and, you know, for the folks listening, I was fortunate I met an agronomist. I met so many people here uh, that had significantly advanced degrees in agronomy and horticulture. And we had an engineer that was a farmer that is consulting all over. I mean, the misconception about the business is profound. And I would tell you that this is really a sophisticated setup here. You know, just one room, there's, what do you reckon one grow room would take to set up? Sure. A 1,500 square foot to 2,000 square foot grow room would cost anywhere from... 400,000 to 700,000 to set up. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to get to see them. Yeah. You know, if you're a gardener at all, you're jealous. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, there's misters and there's fans and there's, you know, all kinds of hydroponic stuff going on and all the RFID chips to manage. And so, you know, I guess not to belabor the point, but this is a highly sophisticated operation with some really bright people doing a lot of smart work on nutrition and organic work and data gathering. That's right. Yeah. You mentioned our workforce. We have about 90 employees right now in all of those four businesses. At the grow we're at right now, the cultivation facility right now, you mentioned we have a woman that has her master's in horticulture. We have engineers, the whole gamut. I think if I had to go top of my head, we probably, of the 100 people, I would guess over 40 of the folks in our company have a bachelor's degree. And a little less than 15 have master's degrees. You know, and for the folks that don't know this industry, and certainly I, I was unaware of the industry, but the level of sophistication and tracking and compliance, you walk into the lobby and you, it's gated in and there's more permits hanging on the wall there than you can shake a stick at to comply. 
And, right. and so, you know, within this business, this is a real life business. You know, it, it goes from growing to extracting, to distributing, to retailing. And so let's talk a little bit about the challenge that you have of basically you got four distinct business models within the company. That's right. Yeah. As a cannabis company, we have a wide diversity. A, l- a lot of cannabis companies, the genesis for them was to start a grow or a cultivation center and then have retail. And a lot of businesses early on in Colorado, that's where they still are. Then as 2.0, cannabis 2.0 started to happen in Colorado, businesses started to stand up where they were doing, they were growing, but then they had an extraction facility, but they didn't do the retail and the cultivation side necessarily. What we've tried to do with our company is go the wide breadth. We want to be a fully integrated vertical company that can do anything from growing all the way to products. And at our extraction facility, we don't just extract the oil. We then transform that oil using technology and expertise to create products that we sell on the market, whether it's food or essential oils or bath salts or smokable items. So to move up that value chain is where we're headed. But to do that, you need to control all aspects of your supply chain. And you guys, we were talking about as we were in one of the facilities, is over there is our intellectual property. And so you guys are developing genetically your own intellectual property, I, I presume, to add value and create distinction. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's in, in coming from a high tech background, I call it our source code, but we're also, that's at the grow. We have the, the various strains and that's our intellectual property, but also over at the extraction facility, the processes and protocols, and you mentioned data and the analytics, that's our intellectual property as well. I learned the lesson in high tech that if you want to do something and you want to be successful at it, you have to measure it and you have to continually go after it. Our next big project is we're going after, we're going to try to get ourselves into a lean mindset so that we're more agile and we're doing lean manufacturing here. That's pretty exciting. I don't know if there's a cannabis company in the world that's looking at lean manufacturing and taking data and analytics to bear on the everyday operation. When we were doing the tour, you showed me a controller box that you had built to spec to do data gather. That's right. Yeah. It's loaded with programmable logic. And then, you know, we had to write the code that goes with that and the logic. That's right. Yeah. Because you talked about the grow environment and when you grow anything indoors, and we are indoors, we're not in a greenhouse, it's indoors, and you do it with hydroponics, your margin of error is very thin. So if you don't have the data and the information you need to stay within those parameters, you can lose the whole crop. You can lose everything. Yeah, and For us, were, that would be catastrophic. Yeah, and you were talking about that if we went from one room to the next, the environment was different from room to room. Yeah, based on the growth cycle, that's right. You know, and, yeah. and if you're short of humidity, a grow facility is a great place for humidity. That is for sure. That's right. Yeah. And there, and there are, you know, different people grow under different protocols. We, in our environment, you know, some of our rooms with what we're doing are more humid. Other people go more dry. You know, it's, and, and I think what's interesting for you guys is in the data collection, data measurement, because that's your world, yeah. you know, where you came from and, and, you know, talk to some of the other folks here in the hallway as I got introduced around. Thank you very much. Yeah. You know, and, and you look at it, it's similar mindset. So, you know, for you as the CEO, maybe that would be useful to talk about is trying to take an established culture. Sure. You know, to an industry that probably, you know, was a little more Wild West beforehand. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and I think for this industry, there's kind of two camps. There's a camp where there's folks that were from the cannabis culture, serious people. And then in time, there's been serious, like what corporate or business types. And 
for some reason, a lot of companies have two camps and they're known and identified as, oh, they're a corporate culture or they're a cannabis culture. For me coming through the door, I had more of the corporate versus the cannabis. Um, I had zero cannabis, but I came to appreciate that that cannabis culture is incredibly important if you're in that industry. It'd be like going into a business Budweiser and saying that you didn't care about beer and the history of beer and alcohol. And the big balancing act for me has been, how do I merge those two cultures so there's there's respect and appreciation for both? To your point, Bob, we can't just have a data-driven business, but we really don't understand the history of cannabis and where it's come and where it's going or the social issues. It's holistic. You have to take a whole view in this business. And I think a lot of people coming in now in what I'll call cannabis 3.0 are coming in with money and business experience, but discounting the, the cannabis culture. And I think that's a disaster. In the early part of the, the evolution of this business in Colorado, I think it was driven by the cannabis culture with no respect for the business side of it. And that was a disaster. So the balancing act here is to meld, to take those folks you talked about with the highly advanced degrees and technology and meld them together so that the culture is holistic. It's been a real challenge. You know, just from walking around the place, you know, here, highly motivated individuals. There was one room that was in transition. So the harvest had happened in that room and there were some tables that were absolutely spick and span clean that that the pots were on. And there were some that were in the process. And I remember you saying, says, by the time this is done, so there won't be a speck of anything in this room. Yeah, we need to. We need to hold a high standard. It has to be, I mean, the products that we make are being consumed and, and we hold ourselves to a really high standard. I mean, we have to, and, and also the reason I said tomorrow is because, you know, that time is money. That room, that room is not loaded for the next cycle. That's time that those plants can't begin their progression to harvest. Well, you know, and you were talking about turnover and says that you guys, like many other models, you're looking to turn on inventory. Yeah. You know, and you kind of go, well, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ask any farmer, right? If farmer, if you, if you go through a whole harvest and at the end of 18 weeks, you have a problem. It's a big problem. So, and, that, and then back to your point about the data and having, you know, people with data and analytical backgrounds, we can't wait till that 18 weeks down the road to find out we've made a mistake. We need to know as early as possible and correct for it. Like any other, like any other business, manufacturing business with standards. Absolutely. And I would argue that it's more challenging, you know, as a farmer, you know, with an organic, with a living process, with a living organism, you need to be even more aware of it. Yeah, the best news is you're not going to get hailed out. No, we're not going to get hailed out. Um, <laughs> we could have one of our environmental controls lose, you know, lose power failure. Lose power failure. Clear. Yep, power failure, or we could have, you know, an issue like that, that that's mm-hmm. out of our control. Yeah. Just like any other. Like farmer. any other business. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Production line, you have a power outage on a production line, you know, you better have a backup plan. You know, it's it's just been fascinating to come through. And, you know, I'm a fanboy because I just think it's cool to see all this technology. I mean, you look at the wiring in the place and I'm going like, this must have kept an electrician busy for a very oh, long yeah. time. Years, years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so for your perspective, where do you think the industry is going to go over the next three to five years? Yeah. We're in an interesting political environment right now. At the federal level, you have the attorney general making overtures in a certain way. But then at the state level, you have, you know, senators like Cory Gardner actually wasn't necessarily a fan of this now that he won the election and understands the impact to his state saying to the attorney general of the United States, Hey, don't mess with the state of Colorado. This is a business that we can control and, and we know what we're doing and it's benefiting the residents of the state of Colorado. 
Well, I mean, think about so it. So it's kind of an interesting, you know, you ask oh, where yeah, it's the going. Qu- the quantity of people that you have working here. Yeah. I mean, you know, like how many new businesses take and employ 90 to 100 people, you know, from varying levels of education this quickly? Yeah, it's unprecedented. I mean, that's the exciting thing. We talked a little bit about it earlier. That's the exciting thing about this business. It hasn't been done before. That's what attracted me to it. This hasn't been done before at a larger scale, but this is just like any other startup I've worked at. It's just moving faster. And it's tangible. It's tangible. Yeah. yeah you you know. see results every day. I mean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like for me, in my background way back when, you know, my ignorance about the marijuana culture and just the marijuana plant was profound. So I got a short course, which was fun. Yeah. To yeah. take a look at the stuff growing. And what it reminded me is a very large tomato greenhouse. Yeah. It's, it's very similar. If you go through a greenhouse, it's very similar to that operation. You know, the greenhouse, they have natural light and they augment it with artificial light. We only have artificial light, which is back to those tolerances, it's much harder to manage. But, you know, I came into this business with the same probably level of understanding as you did as it related to cannabis. It's a steep learning curve. But I'll tell you what, in this industry, there's room. A lot of the folks I worked with at Cisco and managed in California and Massachusetts and Texas, they're saying to me, how do I get into this? I want to get into this business. I'm talking about people with engineering degrees, software designers. I've heard that more than once where, you know, the presumption is that uh, maybe people would take and not be interested in the business. But I think the challenge, I mean, from what I understand, the demand to come into the industry may outstrip supply. Oh, yeah. I think that early on, like any industry, you know, that's in its early stage, you kind of get what you get from the workforce because you're asking people to take a jump, a leap of faith. Once there's momentum behind it, you kind of see those folks that are more of the settlers, not the pioneers come in Mm -hmm. and they really want to be a part of this. As I talk to the folks that I know from my high tech background for 25 years in high tech, they're like, how do I invest in this? How do I get a job in this? How do I do this? Unfortunately, then my network there isn't basically Colorado-based. It was based back east, California and Texas. California starting to sort it out, as is Massachusetts. Texas, we don't know. So those folks, my pitch to them is move to Colorado. They're like, no, this is going to happen in my state. How do I get it? In fact, I've I've had a few folks, you know, the highly successful people from Cisco and startups that I've worked with that have come out here on their own dime, and I've let them come out here and shadow for a week. And they've gone back, and they just, now they drive me crazy. How do I get a job? How do I get a job? Like, <laughs> move to Colorado. Well, I don't want to do that. But, I mean, on their own dime, flew out here, shadowed me took a week off from work and then now they've got the bug because they see the opportunity to sit. You talked about the systems, the analytics, processes, everything is new. Everything we're doing is new. And I don't mean to say it hasn't been done before, but doing it at the rapid pace, this this business in this industry is growing. It's new. It anyway, hasn't been done. And the state's benefiting greatly from employment and tax revenue and job creation. It's just been an extraordinary boon. It has for the state. I mean, to see a representative of the people like Cory Gardner before election saying, geez, I don't know about this. And then same with Governor Hickenlooper. Both of them now are strong advocates. They've both, as soon as the attorney general started to talk about taking measures at the state level, both of them rushed to Washington and said, hey, we've got this. Leave us alone. We know what we're doing. Do not interfere. You know, what would be really cool is if we could wander around with the video and we do the tour, but we can't do that. Yeah. You know, it's just uh, one, I'm not capable, but nonetheless, yeah. you know, I think that... You're welcome back later to oh, do that if your oh, viewers, yeah, yeah, if well, your listeners he, are interested. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and the thing that I... If there are folks out there that are interested in the industry, is there a website that they could go to to reach out to you and say, you know, I'm interested in chatting? How would they sure. do that? Sure. Yeah. We have a website that is our retail and cultivation website, and it, it's at bemindful.today, and that's B-E-M-I-N-D-F-U-L dot 
today. And you'll find us there. And then we have a, a query page where you can send in a submission. Also, we have another brand and one of our extraction businesses, TR Concentrates. Okay. It's trconcentrates.com and you can see what we're doing there. Super. And then there's tons of resources. Uh, if you're interested just in the industry, there's tons of resources. Just type cannabis into Google. <laughs> one, one of a, one, I think you interviewed Steve Urban. Yes. Steve Urban's company, Riderflex, mm-hmm. has been doing an amazing job for us sourcing highly qualified employees. Yeah. In fact, yeah. shout out to Steve because yeah. that's how I met you. Yeah. That, which thanks to Steve. Yeah. It was yeah. great to meet you. But Steve, Steve's making a dent. Steve is probably part of our, our middle management team. We have one, our sales VP is an executive that spent his whole career in alcohol. Mm-hmm. 20-something years in the alcohol business. He's amazing. He's grown our extraction and wholesale business from almost nothing to over half a million dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Just by, and that came through Steve. So money well spent. Money well spent. And you know, Steve should be charging more. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out yeah. to Steve again. Uh oh. Yeah. You know, at this part of the, of the podcast, you know, part of the idea here is to try to take and memorialize some of the wisdom that you've, comp, you know, accumulated over time. So, you know, to that end, usually, you know, most of us are, are pretty active readers. And in, in that bent, what's the most recent book or influential book that you've read lately that's impacted what you're doing? Yeah. Book I'm reading now is Freedom to Choose by Milton Friedman. We talked a little bit about states' rights and federal government. And I somebody said, you should really read Free to Choose by Milton Friedman. It's a free market economist from University of Chicago. Fascinating book. Fascinating. I love it. It's thought-provoking. Um, you know, looking back, we all have challenges periodically. What failure or at the time, an apparent failure has served you or your company best or set you up for future achievement? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for me, in this specific example, and, and, and it's a theme throughout my career, it's a cliche, but it's so true. Finding the right people and making the decisions around people earlier. Somebody once said to me, and I didn't listen to them, it took me five years of being a manager when I was new, that when you get a stock portfolio, you spend time on the 80-20 rule. 20% of your stocks give you 80% of your return. Well, I think the same is true of people. And a lot of managers, when they get first in management, and I've seen VPs do this, they spend 90% of their time on the bottom 10% of their performers. That makes no sense. And I've made that mistake again and again. And I'd encourage your listeners to think about that. If you're spending 80% of your time on the bottom 20% of your performers, you're not serving the business. Quite frankly, you're not serving the other 80% of your people that are there and want to be there and are working hard. And you're not serving the 20% that you're spending the 80% on either. Yeah. I know that sounds a little harsh, Bob. And I rejected it early on in my mm-hmm. career and I paid for it again and again and again. And it took me at least 10 years of being a manager to finally say, there's some wisdom in this. I should look at it. Pareto's principle works. Yeah. yeah. Pareto's principle in reverse though. Why Pareto's principle is to gain improvements. You focus on the thing that moves the needle. But as managers, people managers, we all want to help someone. You see people, you want to help them. But at some point, you, you're responsible for business as a CEO or a manager, president or whatever you are. And you need to make those hard decisions around people. You're investing too much of your time in something that's not giving a return. I know it sounds harsh, but it's life. It's life. You know, and maybe they're just miscast. A lot of the folks that have been in that 
category that I've said, hey, I don't think it's working out. Let's sit down and talk about why have been relieved because they're in a job that they, it's not working out for them and they don't want to let you down or the company down and they're misplaced. They're misfit. Some of those folks I've repurposed into a new job and they've been amazing. And if I had that conversation early on when I saw it, I, I would have saved those folks or preserved them or allowed them to go do something that, that they were more suited to. You know, we don't all know what we're going to do from day one. You know, that's it might right. take us a little while. Yeah. Tom, if you could put an ad on page one of the local paper sharing your company's message or advice, what would it say and why? Page one, huh? Or, yeah, sure. Yeah, Billboard. That's, that's <laughs> Wow. I think for me, the takeaway, I, I don't know if I could shape it into an ad, but as it relates to Mindful and TR, you and I talked about this earlier. I think it's a company that's custom, you know, we're customer focused and we're serious people doing serious business and we're trying to do serious good in the marketplace. We're trying to serve our customers and we take that responsibility very seriously. It's not a pithy first, well, no, first page ad, but, but, you know, I'd have to get a, you know, a tagline for that. Just but, walking through the place. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I've been at a number of, you know, Jack Daniels distillery sticks in my mind. Oh, God. Yeah. You know, and, and you've been there and I've been there yeah. and, and you look at the place and I think you could eat off the floor. Oh, yeah. Pretty much anywhere in there, stainless steel and all this, that, yeah. and the other. And you come through this place and it's, it's the same impression, you know, serious business, highly technical business with highly qualified people, you know, that are, are producing product for consumption and serious about taking care of their customer. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah that, I mean, that's what we're striving for. It's, it's, it, as you know, that goal never ends. And that's another thing that we try to do here is complacency. It's the enemy. If you get complacent, you're moving backwards. And, and I thank you for that. But out here, the goal is I walk through and see every flaw, not every <laughs> typical improvement. Yeah. Typical. Yeah. 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 For you, what's the best allocation of either time or initiative that's helped this company most and why? Yeah, it goes back to two things, people and thinking. There's a saying that I use and, and, and it helps, it serves me and I think it's, it serves our managers. Depending on your role, I ask, are you working in the business or on the business? And that I'm hearing that more and more now, but by that I mean my job is to set a direction and hire the right people and give them the right resources so they can take us in a, in that direction. Part of my job is setting the vision and the goals around that and the strategy. And it's been a challenge. Part of that, to do that, you need to have the right people. But to do that, once you have the right people, you need to have the right strategy. And because we're running four distinct different businesses here with all those licenses that you mentioned in the entryway, it's easy to get sucked down into the day-to-day, we have this problem, we have this crisis, how do we solve it? For me, it's been a balancing act of how do I restrain that as we build the team up and, and get a clearer vision for where we want to go? It's, yeah. been, it's been a challenge. Yeah, back to my fanboy thing. I'm just, I'm a fan. I think this is just cool. You're welcome back here anytime. Yeah. We love showing it off, especially for people that for the first time, it's a little bit of mind blowing to see. It really is. You know, large scale cultivation. It's a lot of fun, but it's within narrow tolerances, within narrow tolerances, which is, you know, as a, I mean, variability is the enemy of consistency and we dance on the margin of those tolerances and we don't always hold them. No. That's a learning opportunity. It's sure. Yeah. Yeah. What's the saying? Never waste a crisis. We, yeah. Uh, I got too many crises, crises. I'm wasting them. But the, yeah, this, you and I talked about this too. This is, we talked about my job at Cisco or at smaller startups. This is the hardest job I've ever held. The hardest job. And you'd say, well, it's, you know, Cisco 10 billion and you're running a business that's doing millions a year. No. Different. The complexity, the complexity is, it's. Well, just the regulatory environment alone. That alone, that alone is, is mind boggling. 
you know, and anybody that's worked with government regulations has an inkling. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Our compliance officer, I think, is one of the best in the business, and she is probably the only person in the company that can just stop everything. She has the authority to stop everything and freeze and do a gut check. You know, other people have responsibility in the areas where they can stop the line, and that that goes Mm -hmm. towards that lean journey that I talked about. But she is the only person in the company that has the authority to stop the whole company, And and it has to be that way. It has to be because that way. if you get out of compliance, you're done. you're out of compliance. It's game over, and it's not. It's not. You, you've put ninety people's job in jeopardy, and you've risked the investors. And Just there's kidding. a lot of people counting on us to do things right. What I say to the team is, if it, kind of to guide them as a philosophy on uh, as it relates to regulation and compliance, if you would be embarrassed to see this on the front page of the post tomorrow, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. And there's things. Don't get me wrong. There's things that are compliant that if they showed up. You know, that won't get you shut down or are within the regulations, but there's a reasonableness test. If it showed up on the front page of the Denver Post, how would you feel about that? Even if it meets every legal and regulatory requirement. And and I think that from a cultural standpoint, really, I walk around the floor and ask that question. Well, that's a good standard. It is. It's one I think we all try to adhere to. I'm sure there's things in my personal life where I wouldn't be proud that it shows up on the front page of the post that I've done in the past. And I think a lot of people have that. That's part of being human. But as a standard, I think it's an important standard. Well, it's a whole lot better to set the bar high. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. As my dad used to say, if you set the bar low, shoot low boys, they're riding Shetlands. That's right. That's right. I tell, I'll tell my children, if you aim for a B, that's the best grade you're going to get. A's out of the question now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's just good stuff. Yeah. For you, what would folks say is your most unusual habit or what others may consider out of the ordinary that's helped you or your company most? Yeah. And it's taken some discipline because I used to be a control freak, but one of the things I like doing is giving someone a challenge or the team a challenge and not giving too much direction and stepping away. It's maddening. I've been on the other side of it, but you know, one of my biggest jobs here is to develop a team. So this is a session plan that if I'm not here, we have a team of people that could step in and do it. And we also have growth plans. So to do that, you need to develop a capability. So I think a lot of folks that work for me believe they say it's unusual, but I love kind of throwing out a problem. I I make sure that it's not a problem. I put rules around it. Like don't spend eight days on this. Mm -hmm. If you guys are spending more than a couple hours a day to solve this problem, come see me and we'll realign it. But I love to kind of set the broader framework, maybe even a strategic problem and say, okay, guys and gals, come back to me with a proposal for how you'd solve this problem. I think a lot of people, when they manage, don't like doing that. They like to be managed. They like a little more direction. I don't do that all the time, but I found that people look at me and say, well, you know, that was really unusual that you did that, but I understand why now. Nice to build a team that functions just like as if you were here when you're not. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and and I think if you're a day-to-day manager and you're running a department with people and people have problems and you have all these metrics and goals and you're goal setting and you're moving month to month, you can get lost in the clutter of things. On the in instead of the on. On the in, right. And I think for managers to build the capability, you have to have that ability to not just manage the business and what's your core in your department, but you have to have that ability to step above it and look at it holistically and recommend solutions. It's good for career development too. Absolutely. I have another unusual habit. It's more of a personal one. I haven't done it here, but I used to, when I'd bring a workout bag and whenever I had a moment, I'd just go out and run no matter what I wouldn't, Mm -hmm. if I, cause I couldn't schedule it. I haven't done that here, but people that used to work for me used to have a pool. If I did it later in the day, like at 2 PM, I might not take a shower because I was crammed. I'd run back and go to a meeting and they used to have a pool of, if I take a shower that day. (laughs) That's unusual. That's a personal hygiene thing. Um, 
It probably wasn't that pleasant now that I think about it, but, um. Well, it keeps but, the morning meeting short. Yeah, it keeps the meeting short. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's an unusual, that's definitely an unusual habit. I haven't done it here because it's just been more disciplined with my workout. Mm. Over the past three years, what belief or protocol have you established in your company that has most impacted you or your company's success? Yeah. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. But when you make mistakes, make them on a small scale. You want to try something out? Try it out on a super small scale. On Let's take a retail example. You want to carry a product line. Don't buy $100,000 worth of that product and stock it on the shelves. Buy a small amount of it, put it on the shelf, see what happens. If it starts to sell, get the feedback. Find out why it's liked or not liked. If it's liked, find out why. See what time of day people are buying it. And then double down on that. Mm-hmm. A-B test. And if that works, yeah, A-B test. And if that works, triple down on it. Mm-hmm. And and that's been, I think, something that's served us well. Trying to have a culture of it's okay to think big, but plan plan small experiments. And then when those experiments are successful, double down on them. It's okay. Double down on them. And if it fails down at the double down, you can at least point back to that first, that one X and say, hey, I was successful here. Build build it. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. And to do that quickly too, right? Fail fast. I mean, I know that's a cliche now, but if you're going to do it, find out, get the details fast and find out why it's working or not. Refine it and go bigger. It's served us well. What advice would you offer a new CEO that's assuming the role of CEO for the first time? Yeah. Listen. Listen. So with that being said, so you walk in to a new organization and you go, listen. So when you walk through the door for the first week, how would you structure the process to get listening to occur? Sure. I think just to comment on that as well, Bob, a lot of people, and I think it's an American thing. I mean, you've served in leadership capacities since you got out of college through the military. I think there's an expectation of leaders to know everything and have all the answers walking through the door. I think it's an expectation of the leaders, but I think it's also an expectation of the team Mm -hmm. that you're leading. I think that's a mistake. In any new environment, I think it's best to come in and listen to the people that are doing the work the experts. If you're coming from another new industry like I did, listen. And I think part of listening is doing. Go out and do it. Spend a few days in each department. Just spend a few days and do the work. Find out what it's like. If you've done that, then you have that base of experience, but still listen. Find out what's going on. I think if you slow down and listen, you can learn a hell of a lot more about your business than if you just start directing orders. I think a lot of people step into a role and they say, I have to be this visible out front Messiah figure, and a lot of men and women step into those roles and they have these expectations of themselves and then they reinforce it with the team. And how can you step into a business that you've never been in and set a strategy or direction? doesn't make sense. What's the most common misconception about you or your role as CEO? Yeah, it goes back to the question you know we just talked about. Mm. I think a lot of people think as a leader, you have all the answers. Mm-hmm. You don't. I think, and and then the second misconception is leadership comes from the top. Some of the best people in this company are leading from the individual contributor role. And by that, I mean, they're making decisions every day that impact the bottom line and our customers. And part of that is having the courage and, and for us to create the room for them to do that. But I think a common misconception is that the leadership comes from the top and the leaders know everything. They don't. Looking back over the past three years, what would or should you have said no to and why? You know... And I knew you were going to ask this question. Mm -hmm. I thought about it. And I think in hindsight, it's easy to say, I should have said no to this, this, and this. There's been a few decisions, more than a few decisions I've made where I should have said no. But frankly, I would have learned that lesson later by not saying no later. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's one decision that I would say I would have said no to. 
without the benefit of 2020 hindsight? I know that's not your question, but by, by learning the things I learned by making those mistakes, I think it's, it's helped make the team and the company and myself better. So it's, well, it's, that's it, a valuable, it's valuable. It's right. an investment. I mean, you, you can learn from mistakes, you know, for you in the day to day operation, what's your personal habit or self-talk dialogue? that keeps you and the company focused? Yeah, that's great. I love that question. For me, when my feet hit the floor in the morning, I try not to think about the fire drill of the day, the emergency of the day, the thing that's happening, because there's plenty of them. There's always going to be something that you can go put a fire out. And it's a temptation for all of us, especially now with cell phones and, you know, it's on your nightstand or wherever. I think the thing that served me well is stepping back when I wake up in the morning and taking a look at the month or the quarter or the year and saying, where are we? It's not easy to do and I don't do it every day. It's hard to do because, you know, I pick up my phone and I see, oh, you know, we have this issue. But I think I think it's served me well. So if I get sucked into that thing, it's three hours are gone and I'm into that thing. Now, I've, now the day is running me. Mm-hmm. So for me, first thing is it's restraint. Having the strength to just say, okay, what are we trying to accomplish this week? Where are we against that? Where are we on the month? And I think that's been useful. Like I said, probably 50 to 60% successful on that. Well, that's better than zero. It's hard to do. Yeah. And, 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 and believe me, there's days where, you know, I think there's a laziness to it where I'm like, oh, if I just pick this up, my day will be made for me. I can, I pick this phone up and look at what's going on or come in the office and go, you know, do that. But it doesn't serve the company. For you, is there a quote that you find meaningful or one that you use frequently? Yeah, there's one by Theodore Roosevelt, and I always say it the wrong way, so I'm actually, I put it on my phone so I'd remember it. It goes like this. It's from Teddy Roosevelt, and it's, believe you can, and you're halfway there. That works? Yeah. Well, you know, we're sitting here in the conference room, and, and I have delayed your day for sure. But we were wrapping up, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate the hospitality and the tour and the insight and all the information you share. This has just been excellent. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate what you've done here. And meeting a people, spending time with our folks and listening to them means a lot to me. Thank you. Well, we'll have to do it again. Yeah, I'd love to. You're welcome back anytime. Hey, I appreciate it, Tom. Thanks, Thanks a lot. You bet.